It is the Ringer NFL show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Today's show, Brady, Rogers, Baker Mayfield, the undefeated Tennessee Titans, and much more. Today's episode of the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs, like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Week six, Nora Princiati. What's going on, buddy? Kevin, today was a good day. A good today day was today. a great day. Today was a great day. Good weekend? Uh, great weekend. Great weekend. Whoa. Okay. A good fall great. New England weekend, and then we cap it off with a great day of football games. What are seasons like? Haven't felt those <laughs> in a while. Yeah, we're having like foliage. People are talking about, they're worrying about the leaf peeper traffic. That's the big, that's the big story in town is, oh, gotta, you know, you want to go for a hike on Saturday. Better be careful. You don't want to hit that leaf peeper traffic. Unbelievable. I don't even know what that means. I'm not looking Kevin's into just it. Looking I, at I want me like no, he's so no further information. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that one day I will be back in the Northeast and understand what those words mean. Until then, I'm going to pass. That's all. I don't want to know what seasons are like. I want to live in warm climates and, and as long as I possibly can. You seem really defensive. About leaf peepers? About not wanting to know what seasons are like again. Listen, I'm all for the idea of seasons. But Okay, you know, well, it, it seemed like maybe you weren't. No, I mean, I like the fall, the fall. When I lived in New York, I enjoyed it. And then you get to like Thanksgiving and you're like, well, this has run its course. Right, which is why I'm saying give me my... 63 degree crisp October afternoons because in December it's going to be 15 degrees and sludgy and snowy and you're going to be all warm and sunny and I'm not. You're just waiting for the regression is what you're doing (laughs) in October and early November. You're waiting for the regression. So I had something happen over the weekend that is one of the craziest things I've ever seen at a restaurant my entire life, which is my wife and I are eating outside and we're getting the check and something's on our back. And I'm like, okay. She gets up and she's like, I think it was a frog. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. 
normal. It's normal. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. It's wildlife, right? And then the frog. Nothing about this is normal. The frog. It was a frog. The frog just starts jumping from person to person at the restaurant. It was most ins- it was like a set piece in an 80s movie. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen in a restaurant. It was on a guy's hat at one point. It was jumping on different tables and nobody could figure out how to stop it. I'm <laughs> sometimes just for our listeners, like we're usually pretty like what you hear is what you get. We Sometimes we'll have talked about something just by no, chance I together. I intentionally kept I, this I had from you. No, I, idea in all of our meetings coming. and all of our texts, I intentionally kept this information to you because I wanted you to react to this. Let's talk about Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. Let's just move on. It was still I, bouncing from table to table because we were getting the check, as I said, when when it was happening. It was still going while while we left. I don't know how it was resolved. Was your wife okay? Yeah, we just left. We bailed. I mean, if it were like sitting down for the appetizer, it's a different story. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Wow. All right. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers absolutely dismantled the Green Bay Packers. And that's our first headline right now. Because I think that Todd Bowles and his defense kind of rewrote the NFC playoff picture today. And there were a lot of things that I thought at noon today that I no longer think about the NFC. Now, the Packers are still a very good team. They're a very good offense. I learned more about the Bucs than the Packers today but I learned a hell of a lot about the Bucs. Nora, start us off. What'd you learn? Yeah, so I would agree with what you just said, which is that we learned more about the Bucs today than we did about the Packers. Um, some of the, the stats about Rodgers throwing interceptions and pick sixes, which his two, his pick six and his interception, the two yep. picks um, in pretty close succession, that's when this game really changed, right? That's not going to happen to Aaron Rodgers a lot. Uh, I believe yep. for his career, he has thrown a pick six once every 2,071 throws. He's thrown as many in his career as Tom Brady has this year. Right. Uh, So I'm not terribly concerned about Aaron Rodgers. However, what I do think that we have noticed is that the Buccaneers have done an incredible job that's flown pretty under the radar in terms of just how we've thought about the NFL of Mm -hmm. stacking their defense with really, really high-level coverage players. So in 2018 and 2019, they get Carlton Davis, Devin White, Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean. They're just doing this pretty impressive job of collecting those guys and adding and adding and adding. And what we see is that they can go into a game like this where the Packers start and they're, they're running a lot of man beaters. The Bucks start out playing a lot of man coverage and Green Bay does get up by 10 points. And they can just make these little adjustments and you see this cool relationship between the coverage players and then the pass rush starts getting home and you don't know where it's coming from because some of those Mm -hmm. coverage linebackers that are like the heart and soul of this defense, they can rush up the middle, they can come around the edge. There's just so many ways that they can get pressure. And so Todd Bowles always likes to blitz. But they blitzed Rodgers. Um, it was tied for the most blitzes he's faced over the past two seasons. They blitzed him 17 times. And he was 5 of 14 with two sacks and both of his interceptions on those plays. And if you see a seasoned, you know, we know how smart Rodgers is. We know how experienced he is. We know how great of a quarterback he is. It's so rare to see him confused in that way. And yeah. I don't think that you necessarily get that 
against a defense that's just, you know, dominant in one way. You just saw this really good, like Devin White is just such an incredible piece because he can confuse even a quarterback like Rodgers, which just, that's not going to happen very often. So I think, you know, we're certainly going to talk about Brady any anytime that we talk about the Bucks doing well this season and, sure. and we should. And, and I think there are some sort of intangible things like cleaning up the penalties that they've had, but this yeah. defense is really incredible. And so that's what stood out to me the most watching this game. A hundred percent. It's a great point. And I think about all the narratives that I thought coming into this game and how many reversed themselves over the course of three hours. Something as small, and there are a lot of big things, but something as small as the Buccaneers were the most penalized team in the NFL coming into this game. Then the book on Rodgers, and this is still true after this game, but one of the things people thought that the Rodgers could exploit here was taking advantage of a sloppy play, drawing these guys off sides with the hard count in an almost empty stadium. Uh, taking advantage of not only those free plays, but, you know, any any sloppy play on the back end or, or whatever it was. Uh, they didn't commit any penalties today. First time the Bucs have done that since 1983. They were incredibly disciplined all across the line. Uh, after losing Vita Vea, which I think a premium player at a premium position, I think sometimes that those sort of injuries have the capability to derail an entire position group. We didn't see that at all. Todd Bowles' blitzes were awesome. Uh, you know, I think the Bucs, you know, to your point, they lead the league in guys right now that every media member says, well, we're not talking enough about Levante David, or we're not talking enough about Devin White. We're not talking enough about Carlton Davis. And yes, we do need to, t- to talk about those guys. But now it's becoming a thing where we're talking about them so much that we can stop saying we need to talk about these guys more. Carlton Davis, I mean, you just see, and this has been going on all season, you see the trust Todd Bowles has in him and the positions he puts him in, and they think he's number one corner because they they scheme towards it, okay? Uh, Devin White, 10 tackles, three tackles for loss. Levante David, two tackles for loss, one, one and a half sacks. Uh, this, is, this is not just scheme. It's not just talent. It's both. Uh, Rodgers, second worst passer rating for any game he's ever played uh, in which he started and finished. Uh, this is... This is sustainable for for the Bucs. This is not who the Packers are and it won't be uh, come January. But Rodgers was uh, two of seven for 10 yards when pressured. This was, in my opinion, a, as I said, a a game that to me, and it takes a lot for me to change my mind on something in October and the weirdest season of all time. But now I'm thinking of the Bucs as a much bigger part of January than I thought coming into this game. So there's two two things that I think uh, really support that. One, I think we had a conversation about this um, on a different show, was just that when I was thinking about the Bucks this year and them adapting to Brady and how that relationship was going to work out, I always felt like there was going to be a moment when he was going to have to work out an issue with a receiver who didn't know him as well as the guys he'd played with in New England did, and where he was sort of going to have to be at a crossroads of I can either be a little bit more adaptable and a little bit less like find the right balance between being a perfectionist, not standing for, you know, having 13 penalties in a game or something like that, but also understand that he was in a new environment and that he was going to need to be a little bit flexible and adaptable. And I always thought about that as something that was going to happen between Brady and receivers. 
just because that was a narrative in New England. And that was the thing that we spent a lot of time talking about and reporting and and analyzing was, does Brady not trust Nikhil Harry because he doesn't understand the intricacies of how he wants routes run and other things like that? I wonder if we're seeing a different version of it. And I was kind of laughing because I don't know what Ryan Jensen did to annoy Troy Aikman. (laughs) But we heard about this poor center. We heard about penalties. We heard about bad snaps. We heard, can I say swamp bass on this podcast? Like we heard about swamp bass. Uh, So I don't know if it's like, you know, did you guys like the same girl? Did he dent your car? Like what's, this is like some old beef. Um, I guess that sort of age timeline doesn't really work up, but we'll have to figure out what happened there. Anyway, I was kind of laughing, but a little bit serious thinking about that conversation we'd had and just that idea that Brady was going to have to learn to be a little bit adaptable when they were talking about how he'd changed his stance in shotgun so that it was a little bit more stable and he could adjust to maybe a different different type of snap or less consistent snaps. And to me, that's actually kind of the same thing, right? Like he is willing to do what he needs to, even if sometimes it means being a little bit less of a hard ass. And it's totally working. And so I think that in combination with the fact that they just seem to be being proven right about a lot of the decisions that they'd made. I mean, the Bucks, the Brady signing took over the the coverage of their offseason. But the second biggest thing, right, was that they did all this work to keep their front seven pretty yeah. intact, but they didn't do a lot in the secondary. And they were trusting those young guys and nobody really knew how it was going to turn out. And what it looks like right now is that that was right. That was the right call. Yes. And they have the players to play like that. So all of those off-season questions that we had so far, and I'm with you that it's October and we don't know, but we've seen some other NFC teams not look quite as good as we thought they were going to. And we've also seen a lot of the biggest questions for the Bucks in the off-season be answered in ways that say that they were right all along and that they knew what they were doing and they were making the right calls. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think if there's two teams of relatively similar strengths or weaknesses or whatever, um, just as far as, as talent, I kind of say if it's close, I'm not learning a lot. See you guys in January just because of how disjointed the season is. But if it's a blowout, I'll take notice. That, that was why I, I re- I'm reading a lot into Ravens Chiefs at this point. This is the kind of game I'm not saying if they if they played 10 times, I'm not sure how it goes. But I know that if you can hang with a team like this defensively, and obviously the Bucs did, uh, you can hang with anybody in football. I mean, this is a team that was historically, through the first month of the season, the best offense in history by points per drive. Uh, Rodgers had thrown zero interceptable balls. Uh, they hadn't turned the ball over at all. They were the first team in history, I think, to score 150 points uh, and, and not turn the ball over at all. And so when I think about just the narrative of the season, uh, there's there's a lot going for this team right now. Um, I want to say with Brady, this is why you come to Tampa. This is why you have a, a good supporting cast. I know the defense was so good in New England last year, but the last time we saw Tom Brady on a field before Sunday, he was doing the four-finger thing. He looked lost, and and it was possible things were going to get away from from Tom Brady this season and that he was going to look a little bit... I mean, when you lose to Nick Foles and the Bears and the way they did and the mistakes they made... Uh, it's possible the season could get away from you. And the fact that he was not only 
he would have been bailed out by his defense even if he didn't play well, but then he did play well. He got Gronk involved. I mean, this isn't it's not gonna be vintage Tom Brady this year. That, that that's that's confirmed. Okay. He's 43 years old. He's gonna be 43 year old Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers at this point is a better quarterback than he is. But this was what I wanted to see from Tom Brady and the Bucks at this point in their career, dropping dimes when he needs to. He only needs to make a handful of plays a game if this defense plays like this. And that's why I think from a NFC playoff perspective, I'm thinking differently about January. And he can still, Brady can still go back shoulder to Gronk. And on that play, he had one yard of space. And they still made it happen. And I I mean, I don't think I actually think Gronk's looked pretty bad. I think he looks slow and and stiff, but there are gonna be moments when they can put it together. If you set the over under last week on Gronk touchdowns at 0.5, I'm I may have taken the under. Right. It was his first touchdown since 2018 in this game. Yeah, I mean, since the the Miami Miracle game. Was that when the, yeah, that's when it was. Yeah. So I mean th- this he was, had another he and- had another moment in that game. And he, he did have another another moment in that game. Uh, not his finest moment. But I think that, you know, Roger said after the game that he thought this was, uh, quote, a game where we, quote, needed a kick in the ass a little bit. He thought that maybe there was too much outside noise about how good the offense had been. Uh, I got to tell you, I love Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, a little bit of that noise was was coming from inside the house, buddy. You're the one that kind of got all excited about how well you guys are playing and and gave some quotes. He did say that they were feeling themselves a little bit. And that's, you know, one can wonder if if there's a look in the mirror potentially happening yeah, there. Maybe because... I, I listen, the the Packers are gonna be fine. Okay. David Bakhtiari got banged up on Sunday. Matt LaFleur said it was not a long-term issue. Obviously, that had a little bit to do with maybe later in the game, but the this game was already set when that happened. Um the the, the Bucks scored 38 straight points. Rodgers looked amazing for the first what 10 minutes of the game and then it just it just didn't happen um you know i think Bowles' defense is interesting to me i think that their blitz and their aggression is is fascinating uh i've heard a theory i actually most recently heard it from from chris sims and i really like it about how blitzing in the modern era is nowhere near as effective as it has been in the past because the younger quarterbacks coming in now are just so uh they've just seen so many blitzes and they they've just been trained to get the ball out quickly, read it, whatever. And that having coverage guys is going to have more of an advantage and, and having, you know, d- dropping back and, and playing tight, really good uh, play on the back end. And I think that when I look at this Bucks defense, they've got the guys in the back to blitz and they've got the guys to hang with it. It's like what you said with, with, with the marriage between the front and the back of that defense. And I think, that this defense, while again, the Bucs have a long way to go, but this defense for me, uh, that's that's they, they've they've got something going there. And I also think that Todd Bowles should probably be a, a head coach candidate next year. Well, the reason it works, right, is because it's confusing. And that has a lot to do with those inside linebackers who can cover really yes. well, but they can also bring pressure. Like this is going to be an insane analogy, but over the weekend, I was playing and like, I hate video games. I'm not good at them. I don't, oh I don't mess goodness. with that stuff, but I have a this friend. Is, this who, is more unpredictable than my frog story. <laughs> you playing video games. It's actually, you know what? I'm going to bring this back to the frog. I don't quite know how yeah. I'm going to do it yet, but I'm going to, but my friend got this, it's called like an Oculus thing and you put on, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, 
glasses and it's like virtual reality like or virtual whatever. Virtual reality, yeah. And so I was trying to play this game where you're holding basically like a different colored lightsaber in each hand. And these boxes that are either blue or red are like coming at you and you have to hit them with the appropriately colored sword. Um, I don't know. These are things boys like. Uh, I shouldn't generalize, but they're not things I like. <laughs> anyway, you right when you get used to it, you go up a level and no longer are they just blue and red. They're blue and red, but there's also an arrow on one side of the box. And so you have to hit it from the same side of the box that the arrow is on. So you can either, you know, slash the sword up to down or side to side or whatever. And that's kind of what happens when you have a really versatile set of inside linebackers, right? Producer Arjuna has informed us it's called Beat Saber. Okay. Okay. Inside linebackers. I think it's called Beat Saber. That's what I was playing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, uh, I literally, I was in a sorority in college and I decided to rush because I was like, I don't want to live in a co-ed dorm with boys who play video games all the time. I just can't be around it. Um, this is too much insight inside, into my inside, life. This, this, that, that anecdote started with the phrase inside linebackers. Um, this is perfect. But this that's really what happens, right? Is that yeah. all of a sudden... You have to choose, not only are you just analyzing colors, you're analyzing all this spatial stuff and there's this extra level of complication, which I think is pretty similar to what happens when you have great inside linebackers that can cover and bring pressure. And we're seeing it borne out because, so according to Next Gen Stats, um, the Bucks are first in the NFL in having 15 sacks and six interceptions while blitzing so far this season. So both of those are best in the NFL and they're playing the same group of quarterbacks as everybody else, right? Like the whole league is more athletic at that position, but they are able to do that because it's unpredictable. You know what else is unpredictable where that frog was going to jump? Man, it was on a hat at one point. It was on a martini. It was in a martini glass at one point. Oh no. Yeah. Like, Did it splash? I was kind of, it was like four tables over at that point. I, it w- I was just getting the play-by-play from a, from a very loud gentleman who was telling us where it was going every single time. So is the, is the frog Devin White? I was thinking about how high, like on, at the frog combine, there's some eye-popping numbers there. It would have broken Byron Jones's combine record is all I'll say about that. All right, let's get to our winner. Winners. The undefeated AFC teams. Yeah. Yeah, so the Steelers and the Titans, kind of spicy. What'd you think, Kevin? Okay, so a couple things. Number one, Arthur Smith is a red zone god, red zone lord, red zone prince. Red zone guru. How, how would you? So Chase Stewart had this, and I can't stop thinking about it. The Titans have not made a field goal since September 18th. Their last 11 scores were touchdowns, okay? That's good. That's efficiency. And what he does with play action and all that stuff, it's really impressive. But I want to talk about Derrick Henry because what Derrick Henry is doing is blowing my mind. First of all, I think there's a very real fear. You see it on the field. There's a very real fear of being memed by Derrick Henry. Like Josh Norman made $80 million in his career, was one of the best players on a Super Bowl runner-up. And for the next, I don't know, decade, when I think about Josh Norman, I'm just going to think about him getting just thrown aside by Derrick Henry. 
And I'm not saying that it's going to get him, Henry, very many extra yards. I'm just saying it might get him a few because there's defensive backs right now who do not want to go up against that stiff arm. Just something to watch. You know who else he thinks is that? Mike Rabel. Mike Rabel gave a long interview about how they like, they run stiff arm reps in practice yeah. with him. They coach him on it. They talk about, you know, is the arm going to the chest going to get yeah. him better leverage than further up, further down? Like the art of the stiff arm is, uh, it's like those, it's like those memes where they like put players into famous paintings. Yeah, I agree with you. The stiff arm effect is real as is the fear of the stiff arm. Like there's guys right. who are going to go half a step slower and be like, I do not want to get thrown into next week, okay? Totally. And I, when I look at some of these Derrick Henry plays, you know, Roger Sherman kind of uh, reintroduced the famous Derrick Henry uh, high school game log to the folks. And you see 400 yards, 350 yards, like Gadsden High School held, the, held him to like 170 yards and it, it was you know considered a coaching marvel. And at some point, Derrick Henry needs to find a level where he can't throw everybody around and he hasn't found it yet. Like the NFL, he's making the NFL look like North Florida high schools. Okay. When Deshaun Watson is out there for the overtime coin toss and he loses it, he kind of rolls his eyes and throws his head back. I don't know if you saw it because he knew what was going to happen, which is that the Titans roll down the field. uh, Derrick Henry takes a direct snap and just bowls guys over into the end zone. Uh, This is, this is, Awesome. I mean, you combine that. The reason the Titans are, are good for the most part is because of their passing efficiency, because of Ryan Tannehill, because Ryan Tannehill is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in football since he took over, since he escaped Adam Gase, all that stuff. There's a reason they paid him and it's looking like actually a pretty good deal. But I think having Derrick Henry do the things he does is absolutely special. The Titans are the first team in history to have a 350 yard passer and a 200 uh, yard rusher in the same game today. I mean, that's just, that kind of, that kind of says it all. And I don't know. I mean, this, this team, you know, not only is it talent, but it's coaching Mike Vrabel from, from what I saw on Twitter today, uh, Mike Vrabel intentionally took a 12 men on the field penalty to, to stop the clock on a second and one late in the game. Like he's doing Belichick stuff. I mean, this is the only guys who do that right now are Vrabel and Belichick. There's some other coaches who've, you know, dabbled in it, but no one is a time Lord. Like Mike Frabel. Well, who do you I, learn I it from? I love this Titans team. Yeah, yes, of course. But I love this Titans team. You know, I mean, John Robinson, and I've talked about this. He loves, he scouts for badasses, physical guys. And I know every, every GM says we love physicality, all that stuff. But nobody lives it. I mean, like, like five teams are this physical. John Robinson breathes this stuff. This is, this is fun. Who else? So, okay. So that's actually a really good thing to lead us in um, to their next game, because if you make that list of if it's five teams or whatever, who are, who can play with the Titans in terms of physicality, one of the teams that's definitely on there is the Steelers. And that's going to be, I'm just getting more and more excited for that game because as much as I think, I mean, I, you know, I picked the, the Titans to win their division. I've been really impressed by them as much as I think Henry's playing out of his mind and it's really cool to watch. I'm going to be picking the Steelers in that game because I just think that they're going to, particularly if Taylor Luan is hurt, they're going to be able to get after Tannehill 
and to disrupt, get through that offensive line, disrupt that offense in a way that most teams aren't going to be able to, but they really, I think, will. Um, and you did see, I think the Texans pass rush started to bother Tannehill a little bit in the second half. He got sacked twice. And my thought is just, okay, you run that back next week against Pittsburgh. That could be much more significant. And then you're also playing against a team who we've seen be really impressive on offense. And I just think it might be a little, little bit of a different story even though the Titans have been super impressive. So my main point is just that I'm excited as heck for that game, yes. but there are so few teams that can be the level of physical that the Titans are, but they're going to play one of those teams. Yes. So that's what's amazing is that there's three undefeated teams left, the Seahawks, the Titans, the Steelers, two of them play each other. You outlined that great. I think that generally we're going to learn a lot more. And this is what I liked about this weekend is that there were a couple of teams I was unsure of on, on their level, right? And one thing I learned on Sunday is that the Steelers and the Browns are not on the same level. And I don't think that says a whole lot, and, and you may disagree with me, about the Browns. I think the Browns are still what I thought they were, which was maybe the seventh best team in the AFC and a playoff team. And the Steelers might be on a different plane here where we're talking about competing with the Ravens and maybe the Chiefs, obviously. And then, you know, the Titans, I think, are in that conversation as well. Obviously, the Titans beat the Ravens last week. The Titans had a 10-point lead in Arrowhead last January. Like, obviously, both of these teams can hang with the elite. When you think about the Steelers-Browns game, your takeaways are what? Mainly that the Steelers just look great. And yeah. they were in this game able to pressure Mayfield with mostly a four-man rush, which is really different for them. You know, yes. Blitzburg, they're used to blitzing a ton. And without Devin Bush, they'll probably have to do that more. I think that's a really significant loss. 100%. I mean, the, the fact that both these teams had huge injuries today is, is, is extremely important. To, to lose Devin Bush and to lose Taylor Lewan, and Jay Glazer reports that they fear Lewan has a torn ACL. I mean, those are not... I mean, those are season-changing injuries for these teams. Totally. But I do think that with the Steelers' defense, they're playing against a team in the Browns, and I'm mostly with you in that the Browns were not a team that I thought was going to be regularly beating the Steelers and the Ravens. I would sure. say that I'm a little disappointed that they just get crushed against those teams if their identity oh, yeah. is, is through running the ball, having a good offensive line. I think it's troublesome that their output there gets cut in half when they play the good teams in their own division. I don't care if you lose a close game. Those are really good teams. But as someone who's thought that they've looked actually kind of in encouragingly frisky, I I thought that was a little bit of a disappointing outcome, even though I would not have expected them to win this game. But encouragingly I do, frisky. Encouragingly like frisky. <laughs> uh, I think we called the Panthers frisky last week. The frisky team of the week. Uh, but I am cautiously optimistic that the Bush injury will be something that Pittsburgh can move past without being seriously, seriously impacted, even though... <sighs> he's such a pivotal part of what they do. And this might be a little bit of recency bias, but I just thought that the way that they were able to get to Mayfield today 
by mostly using a four-man rush was made me think, okay, there are there are more ways that they can can do this. Now that that's helped when you have an opposing offense that's just in third and long all day and and feeling miserable. But I really, really like the situation the Steelers are in right now. Steelers are awesome, full stop. And the Browns are not. And I'm getting worried about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has 11 career games with multiple interceptions. Only Jameis Winston and Phillip Rivers have more since Mayfield entered the, the league. That's not what you want. And I think when I saw that Minka Fitzpatrick interception and that really changed the game and and set the tone or whatever you want to call it, whatever, whatever intangible thing you want to say it did, it did. Uh, It was Minka Fitzpatrick's third defensive touchdown since he joined the team in week three last year. But when I saw that, I thought, you know, Baker Mayfield, he's been given. I saw Colin Coward made this point. Actually, I agree with it is that Baker Mayfield is now just holding the team back. In the same way, in the same conversation we're having about Phil Rivers last week, is he is he bringing anything to the table? I think we should start having that conversation about Mayfield. And perhaps, perhaps it's just the ribs right now. Perhaps he just banged up and he's getting the crap knocked out of him and he got hit so many times on Sunday, he can't work. Uh, Case Keenum came into the game, uh, although there is no quarterback controversy in Cleveland, according to everybody who covers the team. But at this point, I'm waiting for Baker Mayfield to make this team better. And I just haven't seen it because even even if you're put in the best position to succeed, and I'm talking about Jared Goff or, you know, the elevated version of that right now is is Josh Allen. I mean, everybody who's successful in the NFL right now, a quarterback besides Deshaun Watson is put into position to succeed. Okay, and Baker Mayfield has an improved line. He has improved weapons. He has an improved play caller. But I just don't see right now what he's doing to take advantage of his situation. And I'd like to see that. Yes or no on Baker Mayfield. That's it. That's all I need to know. Since, we, since we're, we're out of time on this segment, so it's just a yes or no question now. No. Yeah. Sorry to be a hater. Now it's time for the State Farm Surprisingly Great segment of the week. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate, that's like the San Francisco 49ers upsetting the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football despite being injury-riddled, despite having a stinker of a game last week. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Nora, no one saw this 49ers performance coming. Jimmy Garoppolo was benched last week to, quote, protect him from himself. We didn't know if it was the ankle. We didn't know if Garoppolo was bad. One thing we didn't expect was for the Niners to beat the 4-1 and Los Angeles Rams and a team we thought might be an NFC contender. What'd you think? The other thing we did not expect was for the San Francisco 49ers to neutralize Aaron Donald. Nobody neutralizes yes. Aaron Donald. That just doesn't happen. But he had one quarterback hit and one tackle, no sacks, didn't hear his name a lot. And that that says nothing about Aaron Donald. That says everything about what a great job Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers did yeah. figuring out ways to put their offense, which is still dealing with some injuries. It's a lot healthier than they were a couple weeks ago. 
But he figured out ways to put them in good positions and to put Jimmy Garoppolo, who's still dealing with a high ankle sprain to a degree, he seems much healthier, but to put him in positions where he barely even has to be passing beyond the line of scrimmage and he can get rid of the ball so quickly and have those guys kittle all of their players who generate great yards after the catch. They can put together a 76-yard drive like they did on their opening drive where they actually gained 88 yards after the catch because Garoppolo was averaging negative 4.9 air yards per attempt because he was targeting receivers behind the line of scrimmage. And we can talk about what that means for Garoppolo. We can talk about what that means for his health. But we can also talk about that meaning that he is getting rid of the ball so quickly. Yeah. And when you're playing Aaron Donald... There are no good solutions, right? There's not there's not a lot of things where it's all going to look super pretty and clean. So I just think a lot of credit is due to Shanahan and to that offense yeah. for finding a way to navigate what's been a really rough situation for most teams that they found a way out of. There's only two ways to stop Aaron Donald. One is hope he somehow doesn't show up for the game. The second one is get rid of the ball quickly. And they chose the second one. Uh, for me... I think that George Kittle's emergence here, uh, re-emergence, obviously, 109 yards and a touchdown is potentially a season-changing uh, return to form. Obviously, he was banged up earlier in the season. He was uh, part of the just incredible rash of injuries these guys had early in the season that made me think they weren't the contender, obviously, that I pegged them for in August. I think that this shows you, and obviously Garoppolo had a great stat line, 268 yards, three touchdowns, 124 rating, no turnovers. But this shows you that a good play caller can solve every problem. And I think Kyle Shanahan is always going to be compared to Sean McVay. They work together in Washington, obviously. They run a very similar system. And when I see these types of games, I remember why Kyle Shanahan is one of the top three play callers in football. And the offensive line had improvements. Personnel had improvements. They're a little healthier. I think this 49ers team, now 3-3, and at some point, you're, you're actually a decent team. And I think because of the injuries, we, we, I started to write this team off, certainly. And maybe Shanahan, Garoppolo, George Kittle, and some of that talent is enough to get you to, to January. Well, and they got contributions from, I mean, Jason Verrett played a great game. Yes. And one, that... one, of, one of the stories, and this is unfortunately the comeback player of the year list is, you know, 30 people long. But Jason Verrett contributing is just really nice to see. And after all the injuries he's had, I'm I'm a big, I'm a Jason Verrett fan just because of, of what he's had to endure. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that you hear a lot of excuses when things don't go right for people. And I think the next time we start having one of those conversations, uh, right or wrong, a good thing to do would be to think about the situation that the 49ers have been in and all the things that they've navigated and just take a beat to remember what, smart decision-making that puts players in positions to succeed can do. And it sounds simple, but I think we just saw that teams can win games that they're not expected to win when, when that's happening. Choose insurance that always brings its A game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our surprisingly great player from last week was Chase Claypool. Okay, coming up, we're talking about the New England Patriots, Kirk Cousins, but first, a quick break. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, time for losers. Number one loser, the New England Patriots. They are under 500 for the first time since 2002. They lost to a Broncos team that did not score a touchdown. Nora, what'd you learn? No one, no one likes the end zone. The end zone was a very unfriendly no. place in this game. Yeah, not a great game for the Patriots. And the funny thing was, I was in the beginning kind of half paying attention to this game and watching on red zone and thinking... This is a team with a really beat up offensive line and as adaptable as they are, that's a huge part of what they want to do because they just don't have great depth at receiver and they need to run the ball and use Cam Newton's athleticism to have the offense that they want to have, right? Then you start digging into it a little bit more and Newton was sacked four times on three of those sacks. He had at least three seconds in the pocket, which is not, it's not an eternity, but it's enough time to do something with. And they hadn't practiced. They'd practiced twice since their game against the Chiefs because they'd been dealing with positive COVID tests. But I think, you know, the jury's out on how much that really matters. You could argue that it's good to have rest and that this is a team with a lot of experienced players and coaching that can make pretty good use of Zoom meetings and everything. And everything looked bad. Everything looked sloppy. Receivers were dropping balls. Yep. Cam Newton wasn't particularly accurate. They had penalties. They have strange situations like they have guys like Devin Asiasi, uh, one of the tight ends they drafted, who, despite their lack of any sort of depth at that position, he still hasn't had a target. And right. I'm very curious to see how the Patriots will approach the trade deadline because they in the same way that I was just describing how they want to play and how they need an at least competent offensive line to do that tight end has been a huge part of their offense for so long, but for the last couple of years, they just really haven't had anyone. And -hmm. if they're going to show a lack of willingness to use the guys that they drafted, then I'm curious to see if they try to find some other way to address that position because you can, you can see it. There are very few things that the Patriots can't scheme and adapt around, but that's one of them. And if nothing's going to go right for them, those are the times when you see it most clearly. And if the defense hadn't been great in the red zone, this this game would have been a, blow, would have been a blowout. Yeah. So to answer your question about what they're going to do with the deadline, they're going to do some minor move that I 100% buy into. <laughs> like S- yeah. S- Sandy last year, like you might as well. I was ready to give Belichick the Executive of the Year award because they hired they they traded for Mohamed Sanu. And then yeah, they gave up a second round pick and he caught like two passes. Yeah, it was a nice job. Um, Okay, so there are certain things that the Patriots 
and Belichick can't solve. Um, one of those is obviously the fact that they're, they've been depleted. The other is, you know, it's hard to do. And, and I'm not making excuses. This is a bad performance from, from, from the Patriots. Uh, it's hard to do the, we're going to have a deep roster and we're going to game plan and we're going to have situational football better than anybody and all that when you don't practice and you don't have a, a full roster to speak of and, and all that stuff. There's, there's a lot of factors here and all that needs to be qualified. The Broncos played a great game. Tim Patrick surprised everybody. Uh, Michael Ojemudia had an incredible game where he was all over the place and seems to be a turnover machine. So full credit to the Broncos. I think that Newton getting sacked four times, I, he, I think he'd been sacked five times in the previous three starts. Uh, that's important. And that's obviously, as you said, some of that's holding on to the ball. Some of that's just the Broncos. This is one of Belichick's biggest challenges that, that I can remember in the last few years. And one of the things about the Brady era is that Brady could solve Belichick's problems. Belichick could solve Brady's problems. It all worked together. Uh, you don't have that right now. You know, one of the things when I saw the stat earlier about the 2002 season is Michael Hawley wrote a series of amazing books about the Patriots and and that that uh, coaching tree, GM tree, whatever you want to call it. And one of the things that that is, was in there is that Belichick learned a ton about his team and himself and what to do in 2002 because he make a, made a ton of mistakes after he won the Super Bowl in 01. And basically the lessons he learned in 02 set him up for the, the next three years or whatever. And obviously that was almost 20 years ago, Bill Belichick's a different guy. But I'm always intrigued to see how Belichick reacts to all these situations. I don't think that this Patriots team is particularly great. I don't think they're going to win a playoff game. I'd be surprised if they do. Uh, but I also think that no one solves problems like Bill Belichick uh, in the history of the sport, quite frankly. And I, I'm now looking at this and wondering how the next two years look like. Uh, if Cam Newton, obviously, listen, I think there's a, there's a chance that we look back on this game in a month and just throw it out and say, this was so weird, didn't practice, COVID, all that stuff, all wonky. But I also think that this Patriots team was never going to be very good. And I, I, when I say that, I mean, they're, they're going to be a nine-win team, not a, not a 12 or 13-win team. And I don't know. I mean, I just think that there's, there's a lot of questions that, that they should be asking themselves right now. And one of those things is how much of practice matters. So after the game, Belichick was asked, uh, did it matter you didn't practice? He said, I, uh, you want a percentage? I have no idea. And he didn't really want to play that game. I think everybody bought into this Titans thing. The Titans narrative. Now, I'll, I'll tread carefully here. Um, the Titans did practice. I think we have a fairly clear record on that. There were some practice practice activities that took place. I just, I, I've been having chuckles to myself uh, at that the Titans never practiced because I'm like, okay, what have we been talking about for two weeks? Anyway, moving on from that. Yes, the Titans did practice. We know that all over whatever it was called, Montgomery Bell Academy or whatever. Yeah, anyway. Um Let's just say, I don't want to talk about the practicing with the Patriots that much. I think it's just much more important that their whole receiving core had six catches for 45 yards in this game. Yes. I don't think that's going to be repeated on a weekly basis, but it's emblematic of a problem that has been on that roster for multiple seasons at this point. And it's, it's bothered Tom Brady. And I think now it's bothering Cam Newton, who wasn't perfect in that game, but I don't think that it was all him. Can Belichick just 
kidnap Kevin Colbert and just tell him how to scout wide receivers? I actually wrote it when I was covering the Patriots. I wrote a story about all of the trouble they'd had um, drafting receivers. And at some point when I was reporting it, I kind of had to make a decision of whether or not my comparison was going to be like a more generalized how other teams tend to do, or I could use the Steelers. And I thought to myself, this is a little mean, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Anyway, not great to be Cam Newton today. Worse to be Kirk Cousins today, I would say. Not fun. Well, it depends how you look at it. Kirk Cousins is a very rich man with a lot of guaranteed money coming his way. That's fair. Having said that, wow, this was bad. Kirk Cousins is now up to 10 interceptions on the season. First play of the game, he threw into like quadruple coverage. I've never really seen it. I mean, it was it was one of those plays where if Mahomes or like Brett Favre in 1994 did it, they'd be like, whoa, look at this. But Kirk Cousins is just not capable of that. There's a reason that those guys try those sort of passes. Right. Well, it was a zone and they were dropping, like they were like dropping clearly right to yeah. where he threw. Yeah. Um, and his quote on it, I mean, in credit to Kirk Cousins, he always takes responsibility, but he said, that's a mistake I've made and I may have made in year one, but I'm disappointed that I would do that now. And, yeah, I think we all are. It was bad. Like, it was one of those things where it, I, mean, I know people kind of rebel against the, like, don't show a screen grab of coverage and draw conclusions from that thing. But if you see that screen grab and you see the four guys, yeah, don't throw it there. That's all I'll say about that. All right. So Cousins comes out speaking of quotes and says, the reality is if the pace I'm on in terms of interceptions, if that were to continue, I won't finish the season. He obviously means the starter. Uh, Mike Zimmer said there was no talk of benching Cousins at all. Uh, a couple of the beat writers said that's basically because there's no backup that they trust. There's no there's no you know Case Keenum, as is the case in Cleveland right now, even though they had, they had Case Keenum. Uh, this is a horrible situation given everything. Um, Obviously, we knew the Vikings were going to take a step back from a roster standpoint, but we thought there was, and I read Chad Graff over the Athletic uh, this evening, and he made the point, the the reason to have Cousins is there's supposed to be a high floor, and you're not supposed to have games like this. You're not supposed to, as you said, make mistakes that would have happened in year one. You're supposed to have basic competence that will elevate the people around you and make you a better team than you should be. Kirk Cousins is he signed a, a two-year extension worth $66 million. His dead cap next year, next year, is $41 million. It's, I believe, $62 million this year. Um, obviously, he signed through 2022. There's some flexibility maybe in that season, but it's not a good situation. They're running for the long haul. I think Kirk Cousins can be an okay quarterback, but he cannot make mistakes like this. This is un. Believable. I mean, this is like one of those deals where you see where like the state government has signed a deal with like some random business and they're, they're it's going to cost them $7 billion over two years or whatever. Or like when Chicago, what was that story that Chicago like sold all of its parking meters and it's going to accidentally cost them $4 billion or whatever? Is that, it's that, I don't it's know that this one. This, right this sounds like a Denver airport billion, conspiracy but... theory is what. No, no, that's... no. That, that it's, except it's real, unfortunately. Well, maybe this, the Denver airport thing is real. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think, they, I think it I is think... real. I think there are weird, there are like, there are conspiracy theories about the Denver airport that are not real. But I think there was some sort of like government, maybe bribery, maybe kickback, little situation going on there that was real. 
I'm checking this out about the parking meters. We'll get to it in a second. I, I don't know. Uh, they sold all of their parking meters in 2008. So they just don't even own them anymore. They just felt like they didn't need them. Well, no, they sold them to a business and then the business is making a ton of money off of it. By collecting parking fees. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway. So in this um, analogy, is Kirk Cousins... It's just Kirk a bad Cousins, deal. We're getting, it's Kirk a bad Cousins deal. are the parking meters. Kirk Cousins it's is a bad the parking deal. meter. It, it's something. In this, in this situation, it's something. I'm not really sure what it is. But anyway, um, this is... The, the, the bottom line here is that these two parties have to figure this out because there's nothing really they can do for the next two years. And I think that when you look at this Falcons team, this should not be happening. The Falcons had allowed the highest total QBR in the NFL coming into this game. Uh, they did not have, I think that they at no point did they have two interceptions. Uh, sorry, they had two interceptions and Kirk Cousins uh, had three by himself in the first half of this game. I mean, this is, you're not supposed to make these sort of mistakes and you're not supposed to make them against the Falcons. This was bad. I don't know how you solve it. If, if the solution is Kirk Cousins can only play well on a good team, well, guess what? The Vikings don't look like they're going to get good anytime soon. And they're not going to have a lot of money to get good because they're paying Kirk Cousins. Classic chicken and egg scenario. <laughs> the Cousins are the All contract. Right. We're good. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, we'll be right back. But first, a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. We're going to uh, a new segment. I guess we're calling this honorable mentions. What are we going to, what do we, what do you want to call it? Yeah, it's like the honorable mentions two minute drill. Okay, we have two minutes to talk about whatever we didn't talk about, and it starts now. I'm nervous. Hey, there's the whistle. Wow. All right. We're panicking. We're panicking over the whistle. All right. Chicago versus Carolina. Nora, you have a take on this. Okay. So the Bears are like the Josh Allen of teams, is how I feel, which is that we're going to be at their Super Bowl parade and we're going to be talking about how fraudulent they are. And I guess we're going to find out in 2020 if Allen Robinson in a good defense makes team. Um, and it's not like pure disrespect that doesn't matter because football outsiders track them as the second worst four and one team they've ever measured by DVOA last week. And I don't know that beating the Panthers 23 to 16 is going to change that in a crazy way, but the bears have a really good record and it makes me uncomfortable. The Josh Allen's much better than the bears. All right. Next jets versus okay. the dolphins. Go. Joe Flacco took a 28-yard sack. Adam Gase has to get fired. Tua looks pretty good. Christian Wilkins jumping over his teammate was the most athletic thing I saw on Sunday. Uh, I don't, I can't keep doing this Gase thing. Anything? Tua FaceTiming his parents from midfield after the game was 10 times happier than anything that's happened to the Jets this season. Baltimore, Philadelphia. You have a take. Yeah. Um, and it's quite a take. This, this, this game made me uncomfortable uh the ravens who i still think are a super bowl contender is uncomfortable weird word for that 
Um, they had a 24-6 lead in the third quarter and they won 30 to 28. And I'm not sure that that's impressive against this Eagles team. And they're about to play. Their yeah. schedule now goes Steelers, Colts, Patriots, Titans, Steelers. So they got to get their act together. Otherwise, uh, I think both you and I are going to have some egg on our faces because we like this team a lot. Well, the Steelers played a tight game against the Eagles last last week. So maybe it's just that's maybe the Eagles just do that. They play people close and lose. Uh, Jalen Hurts uh, averaged 18 yards on the plays he was involved in when they did two quarterbacks. I think there might be some room there for two quarterbacks. That's that's my only take right now. The Eagles absolutely stink. Uh, Baltimore, I still believe in. Washington against the New York Giants. Uh, Washington lost on a failed two-point conversion. I just want to say shout out Ron Rivera for going for two on the final play and not playing for overtime. I did not need to watch more of this game. The East Coast needed to watch Brady Rogers. So thank you, Riverboat Ron. We respect you. He said the only way to learn to win is to play to win. Yes. I don't. I have this quote written down too. I love that quote. I don't really know what it means, but just do it and be legends. It's the only way to be in the NFC East right now. It does not make, mean anything. Uh, Daniel Jones said on one interception he was trying to throw the ball away and he didn't get enough on it. Never a good sign. Uh, so our friend Seth Walter <laughs> said that uh, in the early week, Daniel Jones ran 20 miles per hour, third fastest person. That's unbelievable. Did we hear the whistle? I, I played through the whistle because I needed to tell everybody Daniel Jones runs 20 miles per hour. That's how we were coached. All right, fan question. It's from Nicholas Good. And he says... Would you rather have to block Aaron Donald or try to tackle Derrick Henry? Great question, Nicholas. Thank you, Nora. So the first thing I thought when you sent this to me was that I got my flu shot this morning and I spent a lot of this morning complaining about how sore my like shoulder was because yeah. I got my flu shot. So I would like to do neither of these things. But I think fundamentally, I would rather have to tackle Derrick Henry because... Yes. He's not trying to get through me. He's trying to do his own thing. Yeah. And my involvement is really kind of up to me. Whereas if I'm in Aaron Donald's way, I don't want to be there. Unless, unless Kyle Shanahan can scheme me up some help. Okay, so a couple of things here. Number one, Kyle Shanahan's a great person to have on your side in this situation. But first of all, I, I guess we have to, we have to, Take a step back here and talk about athletic profiles. What were your best sports growing up? Um, I think that matters here. I'm a very good cardiovascular system, no hand-eye coordination. Great. So I can I can run, I can swim. I used yeah. to play soccer. I, I'm, not, I'm not a million. I'm not a million miles away from that. Soccer would be interesting. I don't know if that helps in either of these situations. Yeah. Well, I also but, I broke a lot of I broke bones playing soccer, so I stopped. My only good sport, I was good at ice hockey. And then uh, I did play football. I wasn't very good. I was an offensive lineman. I mean, like, I was fine. I was like, I wasn't like the worst player on the field. It was just like I was a mediocre high school football player, but I was a center and guard. So I would have at some point blocked the, you know, Aaron Donald of, of Orlando. Wow. There were none. Yeah. Keith, Keith, I didn't, Keith Rivers was the, was the dominant defensive player in my area when I was in high school, but never played against him, which is nice. Um, all right. So the answer here, I think, is I would rather so I guess if you're if if you're defending Derrick Henry, you can try to push him out of bounds or something. But I w I'm not I gonna worry. do that. I'm not here's the problem. Here's the problem. Aaron Donald would knock you over and that'd be the, the end of it. You'd both be standing. You'd stand up, he'd stand up from a three-point stance, and he would knock you over and be over. Derrick Henry is running full speed and you're standing there in the open field. The collision will be much more vicious, right? But he just hurtled me. 
No, I think that in this scenario, he's he's coming after you. The all the other issue is if he knows you're a football, like if he knows you're an amateur, he could just bowl you over. If he thought you were a real football player, he would run like maybe run around you. So it depends on what he knows in the situation as well. Yeah, and did he hear me make that that crack about the Titans practicing? Because that could influence this. All right. I don't know. I, I This is an unknowable question. I don't want to do either. How about that? All right, let's go to tomorrow's clickbait. What do you got? I've got Tampa title town. Did Tom Brady bring his winning ways to Florida? That's clickbait? Isn't that kind of clickbaity? It's dumb. Uh, Does clickbait have to be drama? It's kind of, yeah. Okay, well, that's drama. Um, well... I think it's going to be Baker Mayfield. Like, should he be benched? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that works. I think there's going to be I mean, a lot like, of that. I think there's going to be a lot of that. I also think there's going to be some Kirk Cousins stuff, but I just don't, I don't, I don't see that. Well, because there's no, there's no good Cousins clickbait because there's nothing for them to do. You can't, they're not going to swallow right. a $60 million dead cap hit. So what do you, what's the, what's the solution? They don't have a good backup. Uh, right. Their backup is Sean Mannion. Yeah. Former Rams backup. Really hard to do uh, clickbait with Sean Mannion. Well, no, the, the absence of her cousins is, is clickbaity. I think, I think I would you rather click on Kirk Cousins should be benched or Baker Mayfield should be benched. Baker Mayfield should be benched. I agree. That's why that's my clickbait. That's all. I th- all right. This has been, yes. Tampa title town. Yeah. Oh my God. I w- let's do an experiment here. Let's get both of these headlines on the ringer and see who wins. Okay. Let's not do either of those headlines. We can talk to let's our have Heifetz write both of Heifetz can write both of these up. We just do like the ringer just does performance art now. Like we do. We do like what's the method acting of yeah. being a digital media company? Why is it not just method acting? Why are we not just totally in character as clickbait guys? Heck yeah. Nor Princiati. This was fun, buddy. Awesome. This has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network.